The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. I agree with Candace that it's hard to be asked about Christmas because I never quite feel ready for it. But I think of... The shepherds, when we were singing this song, Angels We Have Heard on High, and the, that refrain, Glory to God in the Highest, and how the shepherds probably weren't expecting to be wrapped up in worship like that, right? They were, they were probably just going about their job a little drowsy, and all of a sudden, these angels burst forth out of nowhere. And they're like, singing this heavenly song. And, and I imagine, I was actually, this is what goes on in my head sometimes. I was thinking of that as we were seeing Gloria in Excelsis Deo. I was thinking like, I bet that just like came out of them. They were like, they just had to join. And, you know, and they, they probably didn't even really know what the news was yet. But you know how when someone's really excited and, and you just get more excited? You, someone's giddy and you get a little more giddy, like... You watch Vernon Candace and you get a little more happy. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's, that's probably a, a lot of what happened that night is, is they were like, I don't even know what I'm excited about yet. And with Advent, we get this, this slow anticipation again, thinking of how they longed for Jesus and, and training our hearts to long for him again. So uh, join us in the season and I especially want to invite you to make it a season of confession. Um, before we get started, we want to take every Sunday in December to help you get ready for what we're going to be doing in January, which is going to be a little different. Um, on the back table, you can find in a, a little plastic holder uh, this letter written to the Refuge family. And see, now you guys are like, what is it? Uh, starting in January, uh, we have done this before, we've read through the scripture together, but we're going to be using, um, if you have a smartphone, there's an app called Read Scripture, you can also find it online, Um, it's a way to read scripture, and then there's little videos that help introduce the books and what you're reading, different uh, themes throughout the scripture, but this might be the bigger change, is that this sermon series, our Advent sermon series, a Christmas critique, is the last sermon series you're going to have in quite some time. Because starting in January, we're going to be preaching along with the scripture that you are reading for the entire next year. So what's going to happen is that at community groups, um, we're going to be reading together, and community groups will turn into times where we are talking together about the scripture we're reading. And this came from the idea in Colossians 3.16 where it says, let the word of Christ dwell among you, richly speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and, and yet there's this expectation kind of, I think, in church that we can just show up and, and it depends on the leader's gift in asking questions or their gift in preaching to sort of instill the word in us. You know what I mean? I feel that. And, and so what the, what the expectation will be is that we're reading along in the scripture together and so when we come, it will be what have you discovered in the word? And we'll be able to encourage one another in that word. And so the leaders in the, the community groups will be facilitating that. 
Sound good? And then on Sunday mornings, what we'll be doing, reading along with you, we'll be preaching from a passage in that week of scripture reading, which will be help you, helping you understand like, oh, this is, this is how you can understand the word of God. That puts more responsibility on you. I'm excited about it. It's going to be great. So um, if you want to get started um, understanding what we're going to do, researching it, watching some of the videos, uh, grab one of these letters on the back table. Sweet. Before we get into our first sermon on Christmas critique, let me pray for us. God, I... I'm a little nervous this morning to preach. It's been a couple weeks, and God, you are so much greater and so much more wonderful than the thoughts that I have thought leading up to this sermon. So I pray that, that you will take over now. You'll show us yourself. You'll make, again, this the best news ever, that that you would not be distant, but you came in the person of Jesus as a baby in a manger, so helpless, and yet all our hope is there. All our hope rests there, that you would come. Help us see this, help us hear it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, it seems like In our culture, everyone has something to say about everything. Reading the news, reading your favorite blogs, podcasting, your friends on Facebook you haven't unfollowed yet, right? Everyone has something to say about everything. And so in this culture of news and information, how do we know what's true. Well, God has the final word, and in Jesus, God is the final word. And so what we're going to do in our Christmas critique is look at four parts of culture and see how the coming of Jesus in this podunk town called Bethlehem in a manger, what that says about four things. Power, possessions, politics, and popularity. Four Ps, right? It's gonna, you're going to remember that. So today we're going we're gonna to look at power. What does the coming of Jesus, how does that critique our cultures of power? Well, this last week, uh, North Korea provided me with a great example for Sunday morning, which was they launched an ballist, intercontinental ballistic missile 3,000 miles into the air, which, to put that in context, is higher, further away from Earth than the International Space Station, right? So pretty high in the air, and it, it traveled for 50 minutes, which, according to anyone's calculations, means it can strike anywhere in the United States if they want it to. That's what we call a show of power, right? What's so scary about that? Well, because it could be coming for you. You. Right? So, well, what do we do? Well, what we do is we show that we aren't wusses, right? That we actually have a 
a way bigger arsenal, right? We've got, we've got more firepower than anyone on planet Earth. And so we play this giant game of chicken, right? We, we know this. We've been in the Cold War, right? What we do is we go, well, you want to play this game? We can play this game. Does that power make you feel safe? <laughs> you know, it, you know, I don't feel safe, but, but, but I think sometimes the reason why we, we create our bigger arsenal is, is to give us the feeling of, of safety against what other people are creating. So the question here is, is who really holds the power? And the big idea is this, that true power is found in the promises of God. And that might seem crazy if you read the news, right? Because, again, we're so informed, we're so inundated with information that we're, we're hearing about missiles getting launched, awards being waged, or what's happening down the street, and, and all this creates this tremendous sense of fear. And so how is it possible that, that true power, the greatest power, is found in the promises of God? Well, the, the first question, what are the promises of God? Well, well, one of them that's really profound is found right there at the beginning of Genesis, where, where you have Adam and Eve created beautiful to be in a relationship with God, and they royally screw it up. And God promises that he will crush the head of the one who has deceived them and led them into disobedience, the serpent Satan. And so we have the promise that God will come and God will crush, and we're like, crush him! Right? We're like, you are bigger and stronger. Crush him. Right? And then we find, and was that a little too violent? And so, and so then we find that the, the, what that will look like, the promise is, it, it gets clarified as time goes on. We find that there's this king named David, right? I'm, I'm kind of painting this big picture. This king named David later who comes in. We know he's not perfect at all, but, but God uses him as this example, as a person who who loves God and, and wants to follow him. And, and what God says is there will be a forever king on the throne of David. And, and when he comes, he will wipe out all the competition, right? And this is found in all the books of the major and minor prophets in the, in the Old Testament is this king that will come, this king that will come and reign. And, and it specifically describes him in the book of Isaiah 9, which is... Um, a, a very familiar Christmas passage. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, and think of those, those are power terms, right? Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, of the greatness of his government, and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And I think what we're drawn to in that, and probably what they were drawn to, was these power terms. He will be Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to his reign. And what we overlook is this little part that, in a child, right? A baby. 
And, 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 and I don't think they really expected it to really be a baby. I think they were like, this is rich in metaphor. But no, it's a baby. He actually would come as a baby, helpless as a child. What does that say about power? Well, I read some, some uh, scientific journals about this, and one very um, astute one said this, it's a good thing babies are adorable because they need years of looking after to survive on their own. Right? That does not sound like Almighty God, Everlasting Father, right? <laughs> that people will tremble before him. Listen to this. Human babies enter the world utterly dependent upon caregivers to tend to their every need. Although newborns of other primate species rely on caregivers, too, human infants are especially helpless because their brains are comparatively underdeveloped. <laughs> this makes us look awesome. Indeed, one estimation, uh, a human fetus would have to undergo a gestation period of 18 to 21 months instead of the usual nine to be born at a neurological and cognitive development stage comparative to that of chimpanzees. So we don't start off very well. But this child that would come would be the hope of all people. What does this tell us about power? Well, <clears throat> have you ever, I, as I was thinking about this, I, I thought, have you ever received a Christmas gift that immediately you look for like the gift receipt? You know, like you're given something and you're like, I thought I could get like 14 bucks for this. You, you know, and, <laughs> and, and I wonder, you know, when they saw that the, that this scene in Luke 2 was the hoped-for promise. And so listen to this. Luke 2, this is, this is the Christmas story. Luke 2, 4 uh, to 7, it says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to, to, to Judea, to Bethlehem, uh, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And this is so descriptive. Read this. It says, she, she wrapped him in, in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Right? This is the entrance of the Almighty God. He had to be swaddled. What does that tell us about power? How does that critique our views of power? Well, there's three cultures of power I want to talk about. The first is the absence of power or powerlessness. See, as we look at the world, we see incredible inequality and injustice, right? And a lot of this has to do with how power is used. We see it Massive separation between the rich and the poor, those who are well-fed and those who starve, those who are educated and those who are not educated, those who have access to medicine and those who do not, those who have access to clean water and those who do not. And, and all of these, we know all of these things in many ways come back to the way power is used or abused. And so for those with an absence of power, what does the coming of Jesus mean? And, and I, as I thought about this, I thought, 
What a contrast the stories of Moses and Jesus. See, Jesus didn't have a Moses story, right? Moses got raised where? In Pharaoh's palace. He was an expected deliverer and God set him up well, right? But then you have Jesus and how does God set him up? How does Jesus get set up? Well, he gets set up in the home of two displaced parents who aren't wealthy and don't have influence. There's this... uh, Christmas play that we did as a child. I did as a child. My mom was um, the director of it, and so I probably had a better part than I should have. Um, it was called Christmas from Scratch, and it was about these homeless children living in a shed, talking about the Christmas story and realizing how much they relate to it. And there's these songs about Mary and Joseph. If you were here, you'd understand. <laughs> Right? This, this is the stare. This absence of power is what gets experienced by Jesus. Complete anonymity, right? He doesn't even get put up in the inn. He gets put up in a, in a shed, right? Anonymity, that's the way he comes. And, and rejected. It says in John 1, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Anonymity and rejection, absence of power. The way it's described in Isaiah 53 is that he grew up as a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground, right? <laughs> like a root out of dry ground, which means he wasn't planted in a place you would think he would grow well. That is his upbringing. So who do we see receive him? Well, we see all the way from magi, which are wealthy ruling class of the Near East, and we see shepherds who are receiving him. And so, so what I want you to get from this in the absence of power is that the promises of God, right? True power comes, is found in the promises of God that the promises of God do not discriminate. That's the big idea here in the absence of power is that the promises of God do not discriminate. And that's what it shows when Jesus comes. And what I mean by this is, look, the Magi can come and worship, who are called, these are Gentiles, presumably followers of God from from a place far away. These are not Jewish people, but they also have the Jewish people. Who are the Jewish people? Well, it's it's not those who are spending their days in the synagogues, but the guys who are spending their time in the fields. You have white collar, you have blue collar, and they're all coming, the Magi and the shepherds coming to celebrate this poor child who is the savior of the world. The promises of God do not discriminate. What does it say about the appearance of power? Well, appearance of power seems really important today. That's why when North Korea sends an intercontinental ballistic missile, then they put it on a truck and they wheel it through the streets and everyone shows up, right? That's not because it's like going to do a trick for them. Right? It's because it's, it's the appearance of power that they want to show. And maybe a little more funny way to see this is, do you guys ever see the, um, uh, the pictures of Vladimir Putin? Uh, who He hires a photographer to follow him around. And he had, okay, don't look up these. Maybe I shouldn't even be sharing this with you. 
But he has a desire, and, and he would go to like places in Sevier with his shirt off, and he would like ride a horse, right? And, and <laughs> this is terrible. I'm sorry that you even have to think about this. But why, why does he do that? Well, the appearance of machismo, right, of power. That's why he would, the appearance of power is, is so important for us today. But think about this. Regardless of the appearance of power, the promises of God are the way the story goes. The promises of God are the way the story goes. That's the second point here. The promises of God are the, regardless of appearances, God gets the glory. And, and we see this in the promise of the, of the seed that would come and crush the head of the serpent in Genesis 3 and, and all the ways that, the, that Satan tries to and other people try to stop that from happening. And then we get Herod, right? Who hears about this child who will be the king of the Jews. And what does he do? He tries killing him, but he cannot. Because, because the promises of God are the way this story will go in the end. And so, so what should we do? We should get to know the promises of God, Right? We should come to trust the promises of God because when we see them and we read them and all their predictive nature of this is what's going to happen, that is what happens. But how often are, are we so caught up in the moment and the new, and we're like, I wonder if God called this one wrong, right? That's kind of weird. We're like, oh my goodness, I don't think he knows this is happening. Right? And, and, and yet he does. And he calls the shots. The safest place to be is at the center of God's will. Right? That is the safest place to be. Does that mean you will be injury-free? No, Jesus wasn't. Right? But, but what that means is as you're a part of the plan and the promises of God, you're a part of something way bigger, way bigger than what's happening temporarily, right? What's happening in this moment, in this time, on planet Earth, right now, because God is telling an eternal story, right? I, I love, so I say this every year, but, but Nate wrote the second song we sang, which is awesome. Nate's a great writer. You should write more songs. But, but he talks about from infinite word from infinite past, right? And from infinite past, God has had a plan. And that's not, that's not going to be you know, knocked off course by, by Vladimir Putin not wearing a shirt and riding a horse. <laughs> I hope he listens to this. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Maybe we'll come to love Jesus. So, because, because who is in control? God is in control, right? Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Because <laughs> their days are, are limited, right? So, what is true power? True power is found in the promises of God, and the promises of God say how the story will go. And, and the story went like this. A child will come and the government will rest on his shoulders and he'll be called Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. The third culture of power is the abuse of power. <clears throat> and the abuse of power we have seen a lot lately. Um, 
We've had a lot of icons of our culture fall recently, right? Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer this week. Um, I know even in church, these are uncomfortable things to talk about. And I think some of us are like, who will fall next, right? What we've seen in these is an abuse of power. And I think sometimes in defense, because it's almost like we feel desperate, like who will fall next? We're like, who isn't? to blame here, like who, who doesn't have sin on their hands, and that's right. And, and what that comes to is we've all abused our power, right? But it's scary to see, especially at that level, and, and that level of misconduct, the abuse of power. What does the coming of Jesus say to that? Well, the promises of God bring ultimate peace. And that is the vast difference between the way God uses his power and the way we've seen power used and abused here. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And and the way we see this play out for him is instead of putting himself first, he sacrifices himself, right? Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. And that's what we see Jesus do. It says, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And the way we see him live this out is right, John 13, where he is, he is washing his disciples' feet, right? Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the way Jesus uses power. And so the promises of God bring ultimate peace. Guys, that is good news. That is such good news. There's this incredible, incredible quote attributed to Napoleon. And he says this about power. He says this, I I will tell you, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded great empires. They were powerful people, But our empires were founded on force. Jesus alone founded his empire on love. And to this day, millions will die for him. I think I understand something of human nature. And I tell you, all these were men and I am a man. Jesus Christ was more than a man. The way we see power used, unless it supports and and at its its chief goal is furthering and glorifying God and his promises just going to blow away like dust so that's why true power is found in the promises of God because guys you know this is what happens time to get whether it's Alexander Caesar Charlemagne or the the guy who rules North Korea I don't can't pronounce his name right that guy, Kim Jong-un, something like that, close. So that guy, they plot to rule the world. But they do not have true power. They, they will, like, he will, like Napoleon, be lost. People, people might remember him one day, honestly, probably not. But you know who they remember. They remember this child that came, promised by God, where the government will reign on his shoulders, and he'll be known as Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, and Prince of Peace. So what do we do? What is our response? How do we, how do we understand power in this? Is the first thing we do is study 
the promises of God. Study the promises of God. Get to know them. Right? If, if someone were to come to you and say, what does God promise? Well, what if they did this? What if they said, does God fulfill his promises? And, and you, looking at the scripture, looking how it's played out, would say, yeah, yeah he really does. And then they would say, well, what has he promised you? And then you'd be like, oh, dang. What does he promise me? Right? And then, and then you study those and set your heart on them. You'll find yourself joining God in what he is doing. And it will not fail. Isn't that the ultimate critique of power? The Christ child in the manger, so helpless, and yet, Herod can't touch him right? He will bring peace. He will give his life as the ransom for many. That's the plan. It happened. Let's put our hope there. Pray with me. Oh God, we God, we just we thank you for showing us history in such detail in the scriptures allowing us to not be without hope now um, as the, the, they waited reading your word they waited for the Messiah but were disappointed now that we've seen the Messiah come and give his life raised with power God I pray that we will just find ourselves with an invincible hope now as we Look to Jesus. I pray that we'll just leave here singing with the angels, glory to God in the highest. There's no one like you. We worship you. Amen.